Contractor's journey to self-mastery requires discipline, integrity, and respect. Welcome to Hammer and Grind. All right, welcome back to the podcast. Today, I got a special guest. I'm excited to have a conversation with him because there's some interesting things that he's developed, plus some other strategies that he's uh, going to share with us. And so today I have on the show Ben Strout. Uh, ben, why don't you just introduce yourself? Give us a little bit of background of who you are and how you came to this point. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you for having me on here. I'm uh, really pumped to be on here to get to meet you guys and be part of what, you are, what you've already got going on. Um, so my background, I started as a carpenter in my dad's cabinet shop when I was in high school. And then while I was in architecture school, I actually was able to get my home builder's license. So that kind of actually slowed me down towards getting my architecture license because I actually spent a, a good amount of time as a contractor, as a home builder. And then I got my general contractor's license. And then I finally did get my architect's license about five years ago, actually longer than that now, seven years ago. And ever since I've been in the process of developing a new system that uh, allows people to add a second story on their home without them having to move out. So that's the thing that I wanted to talk most about today, but thanks for having me on your show. Yeah, absolutely. We actually met on TikTok, uh, yep. which surprisingly, I meet a lot of guests from TikTok. Um, say what you want about the Chinese and all that, but it's <laughs> definitely been an app that's uh, allowed a lot of people to come together and pass information. So, okay. So you started out as a trim carpenter. Yep. And uh, you had, so your, your dad had a cabinet shop, yeah. right? So when I was in high school, um, my dad had a, those, you know, Strout prestige cabinets and we would go and just slap up box cabinets in people's homes and you learn a lot. I think honestly, from my perspective that starting, you know, in the detailed world of construction actually really helps a lot as far as like your understanding of how things go together. Cause if you start in the framing world and start, you know, where it's really rough, then you don't necessarily get um, a, a feel for how to make things go together really tight. Um, but I think when you start backwards, where you start where, you know, doing measuring to a 32nd of an inch, measuring real tight, it actually helps you when you start doing bigger things that you, know, you got a little bit more flexibility, but, you know, having that mindset of accuracy and true to true to spec dimensions on things really comes to play and it helps you do a better job yeah i uh, i started out as a well i kind of started out i did it kind of completely backward i started out as a superintendent for a, a private developer and then moved up to a construction manager um, and then actually went down and started working for one of our trim carpenters um, I started working for him as a carpenter there you and go. you know, eventually so kind of started out in management, went down to employee <laughs> back up to business owner, There you go. but, uh, doing finished carpentry, I would agree a hundred percent with what you just said. When you, you kind of get, you kind of, it sets the, the, the ceiling, if you will, of like what, you know, details are like how detail oriented you need to be. 
and then anything below that, you know, you can adjust according to the the job or the price point or whatever. Yeah, I, I think that the importance of that to me also comes in when you're thinking about like tolerances. So like when you're building a staircase, you know, as a tr trim carpenter, you you walk in and the first thing you do is you're checking all your framing, making sure that everything is true and that they haven't put things either too wide or too narrow for all the standard components that you're trying to bring into the project. Like knowing those things as an architect actually has been exceedingly helpful because now like as I'm drawing things, I'm like, well, you get stair treads that are 36 inches long or whatever, and they're supposed to fit into a stairwell that's, you know, going to be 38 inches wide. Like that might work. It might not work. Like you, you're going to have to like look at all these different components and it really helps you have a mindset of how, all the pieces fit together when you're building the project. Yeah, actually, you and I totally forgot about this, but I, so another thing we have in common was when I was in high school, I took uh, architectural drawing last yeah. my junior, senior year at T&I. And so that my, I had like a three hour, you know, class. Uh, also had mechanical drawing classes growing up, but I wanted to be an architect. That's what I thought I wanted to be was an architect. Thought I was gonna go to Ball State University, a very good prestigious yeah. architecture school. And my, my junior, I guess it was my beginning of my senior year is when I realized or learned that you have to actually be good in school in order to get into college. And so, that's, that's <laughs> so the problem. I didn't take the learning. I was good at it. I didn't, but the, you know, the actual uh, applying myself in education was something that I wasn't very good at. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you something. But the, also, go, ahead. go ahead. Sorry. Um, one of the things that, I don't think they really stress enough in school is that you may or may not know, you, you may or may not need the um, stuff that you're learning. Like I don't use advanced structures classes. You know, I don't use any of that information anymore. Like it, it was great, whatever. But the process of learning is what you learn. And so going through five years of college, learning how to learn and learning how to like, okay, I need this information. How do I go get that information so that I can bring it to bear on the situation that we're working on right now? That's the main benefit of college to me. Like now I'm very good at learning something new. Like I can go and, oh, you want me to learn about, you know, how the jam specifications work on this door system? Okay, well, where do I get that information? I go to Pella's website, I download the information, then I look at it and I'm like, okay, this is, these are the constraints. These are the things that, you know, that's how you know, that you're not necessarily using the actual math information that you learned, but you're, learn, you're using the ability to learn as, you know, the primary benefit of going to college and all that school. Well, yeah, and plus the stuff they teach in school is usually two or three years behind as far as, you know, the latest trends or technology because it has to go in the print, it has to be approved, it has to go in the books, and then all it pass, you know, so it's like a two to three, sometimes even five-year lag of, like, what's really happening. So you're just getting kind of the basics of of that. But Absolutely. Uh, what, I was, what I was saying earlier about the – and when I was in T&I, uh, you know, we had we – had, uh, I don't know. Are you familiar with T and I trades and industry or whatever they used to call it? I'm a little, I'm a, I'm kind of an old guy. No, that's okay. Um, I mean, I, I feel like I, I've heard of it, but I don't really know it. Uh, well, back when I was in high school, it was a, it was like a, th a three hour class. It was three yeah. credit hours or three, three classes, if you will. And it was like, you could do automotive 
you know, or you can yeah. go do an air or electrical. It was in the trades basically. Yeah. And so I did architectural drawing and they would do, uh, and where I was at, they would do a class project and they would build a house. Yeah. So our, our, our class would design the house and then the building trades and the electricians and the heating and air, those classes would go build the house. That's cool. So it was like a multi-school project where they would build a house. Right. Yeah. And so I learned like from a, a structural point, like from being an architect, you know, you learn how to do a wall section, right? You got That's the most basic thing you do is a wall section. Yep. And so like that helped me understand construction as a whole that I really wouldn't use until probably uh, almost 10 years later, 10 to 12 years later, when I, when I came on as a superintendent and I was looking at, you know, plans, blueprints, and I was trying to understand how things go together. It's like, oh yeah, I understand all this. This is, this is a wall section. This is a detail. This is how this goes together. So really that, even though I didn't go into college, that two years of, T and I really helped set a foundation for the, you know, the structural aspect. And then you couple that with the, the, uh, finished carpentry, like you were talking about earlier, like how to get to those specific details. I think that really made it, uh, for me at least kind of a well-rounded, um, you know, understanding of, of construction. Obviously you went on to be an actual architect, Yep. right? Got your license, uh, license and all that stuff. So do you, do you, with your architecture, do you do, like, what do you focus on mainly? So again, back to my intro. So in 2012, we attempted to rip the roof off of a house and frame back as fast as possible and put a second story on a house here in Birmingham, Alabama. That was not a good idea. Um, <laughs> That was the beginning of an epic failure that I would have said would have ended my decision to ever do that again um, in that moment. Um, and I said, you know, that's too hard because we basically ripped the roof off of the house. It started raining. It rained for two weeks. And oh wow, we, we lost everything in the house, like all the sheetrock, all the insulation, by proxy, we wound up having to pull all the electrical, I mean, like everything that got wet wound up having to be replaced. And so we basically gutted the main level down to the studs and had to start over on the main level, which we did not have a budget for. And, you know, <laughs> there was a scene in the middle of the night one night when we were trying to keep tarps on the thing where, you know, my business partner actually like stepped into the valley of the roof on a, on a tarp and it's raining and that's also known as a water slide. Um, and he went shooting off into the distance and almost died, but so, somehow survived. We, you know, we made it through the thing, but you know, cost us upwards of a hundred thousand dollars to fix the situation. And so from that, I was like, you know what? I'm never doing that again. And then one night I'm sitting on my couch after somebody else has requested for us to do it again. Um, and I'm like, if I was going to do it again, how would I do it where I wouldn't put the house at risk? Um, and it just kind of came to me in a flash. I was like, there's, there's no reason 
to take the old roof off before you have the shell of the new roof in place. Like you want to have the whole house completely in the dry before you take the old roof off. There's no reason to take it off. Like you got to figure out a way to build the shell before you take the old roof off. And that's what we came up with. So we actually developed a system that allows these point loads around the perimeter of the house to carry a perimeter beam that holds the entire shell of the second story of a house um, before you take the roof off. And then you get the whole thing in the dry, completely dried in, and we call it the another story, second story system. Um, and the last thing you do is take the roof off, throw it out the window, and then you all of a sudden you have a shell and you put your floor in, put your walls in. You build it kind of backwards from what you typically do, but it protects right. the house from ever getting any exposure. And the best part about it is that the homeowners that are living there don't actually have to move out. It's more like you're doing work on their neighbor's house. Um, it's, you know, it's kind of annoying that there's construction going on on the property, but outside of that, like you're not breaking through to the main level at all until the last portion of the project. And so you're actually building a whole house on top of their house. And then like as a magic act at the end, you cut the stairs in and all of a sudden they have a whole new second story on their house. And it is amazing. Yeah. I, I definitely want to get into this. I want to, I want to put this in the parking lot for a second. Cause yep. I, I want to, I want to talk about a couple other things, but I definitely, we're going to come back and let's come back to that, more yeah. in detail. Uh, and which is no worries. So, um, so that, that's, that's, you think the, your architectural, uh, background helped you design that or what, do you think that that really had no play in that at all? I don't think, I think the people like to put this hard line between architecture and construction that doesn't exist. They're the same thing to me. Um, like I don't think of what I do on a daily basis is any different than what I used to do. It's just digital now. So like me putting together a house in the computer emotionally physically like psycho spiritually whatever all feels the same as me going and picking up a skill saw and and cutting the plywood and putting it together like it, it's the same thing to me and i think that also really resonates with the people that i work with because you know i'm i'm out on the site with the contractors with the carpenters and i'm like you know getting their feedback on how they would put it together and then they're like, yeah, but what about this? And I'm like, oh, yeah, let's do it this way. And working with them, helping them understand that, like, I actually understand how to build this thing. I could come and do this, but it's better for me to go and draw this for you to build it. Um, and so really, I get a lot of street credit with all the guys that I work with because I know how to build things. Well, yeah, but so don't you think that's because of the fact that you started out as a tram carpenter, worked on homes, and then you became an architect? I mean, because there's people that go to school to be an architect who's never, never handled a power tool in their life, right? And obviously, there's a disconnect b between that. So that, I mean, for in your situation, that's a definite bonus. Uh, but we, I and mean, we all, I mean, I'm sure you've heard, like, we all joke about, oh, it works on paper, but it doesn't work in real life, right? right? Like, we've all heard between architects and engineers and the you know and the, the contractors so you have a unique uh perspective because you've done both sides of it 
I, yeah, which obviously helps you out. I feel like it's a cheat code. I, and I really feel like every architect should have to spend a period of time working on a job site, understanding how houses go together. Like there's no reason that you don't have any frame of reference to draw anything. If you don't know how to build it, like, what are you, what are you drawing? Like, what do you, what do you expect somebody else to do? Like, you can't expect somebody else to come up to build the thing that you've drawn unless you know how to actually build it in my mind. I would agree. Yeah. It's so like my wife's a, uh, She's a professor, uh, they teaches physical therapy and they, you know, they have to go do clinical rotations, right? It's almost like architects should have to go do an apprenticeship as part of their graduation for a local contracting company. Absolutely. Uh, it would definitely make you much more real, you know, well, well-rounded individual in that. So I want to, I want to take a little detour here because I really want to get into you, you, you mentioned about the important or you in our. You, you talked to me before we got on the podcast about the importance of education as a marketing tool. What do you mean by that? So, you know, when you're on these platforms, when you're on TikTok, when you're on Facebook, you know, people want to know that when they call you, they're talking to an authority. And the best way to position yourself as an authority in your space is to teach other people things, whatever it is that you're teaching. If you're on the, you know, if you're on a platform and you're telling them how to, you know, adjust their doors or how to, you know, do something special to their home, like that's the best way to begin um, gaining a position of authority where people believe that what you're saying is true is to teach. And I mean, that's honestly like, been my philosophy with getting employees my, my philosophy with any any amount of like business is i look at myself first as a teacher and then as you know a business person and then as you know the different parts and pieces like like i'm always looking at it from an opportunity to like how do, how do i teach something some to somebody so that they can win you know it's a i do we do you do kind of mindset with all of the different people that I work with. And that actually helps people understand that, you know, you're trying to help them learn something. And then once you've you know, like, people get like this mindset that if I give away all my good stuff, that then they're not going to pay me to, you know, to keep teaching them stuff. It's like, no, that's not how that works at all. The more you give away as far as like what you know, the more trusted you become and the more people insist that they want to work with you because I, I want to work with a teacher. I don't want to work with the guy that doesn't know anything. And so that, that's that been really been my philosophy. I, I agree 100% with you. I mean, obviously coming from being a contractor to now a business coach for contractors, uh, one, and one of the reasons why I made this transition is because of what you said, which is teaching is something that I'm passionate about, right? Helping others uh, be the best version of themselves. Uh, that, that's just my kind of mantra. Um, and I label that as self-mastery. And so, I but I struggle, and, and you, and we, this may get into our next topic, which is, uh, you know, stay on the good side of being a trusted advisor. But like, can you give away too much information, right? If, if from a from a coaching perspective, obviously, I don't want to give away all of the stuff for free. 
because it, this is just how people think. Yep. I'm not saying this is true. This is just how people think. I don't want to give away all my stuff that I teach because then they have all the information, right? Like there's no reason to hire you because now you've given them all of the good stuff. And in the old, and I've done a lot of research on marketing and things and, and business coaching and all that stuff. You know, the old way was you would, uh, you would dangle out a few go nuggets and then get them to buy your program. Right. Right. But then with, with the invention of YouTube and TikTok and everything, people who are not teachers, people who have actually have nothing to sell you who are just sharing their knowledge are essentially giving away a lot of that information that, that was, you know, gatekeeps behind this program. And so now it's like, there's almost too much information, right? Right. Like there's, I mean, you could probably, again, I'm not an architect, but with my limited experience with architecture, I mean, you could go online and learn everything you need to know to become an architect minus the licensing. It's all out there. Yeah. I mean, there isn't all the information is out there. Yep. So as, as a teacher, you're not actually necessarily telling anybody anything new. You're more helping them parse through the volumes, the tomes that are available to them and say, no, this is the actual information that you need. Like all of this other stuff is superfluous to you in your particular situation. Like you need that information and that to be able to help somebody through that is actually really powerful. Yeah. Like you were saying earlier, like you don't even use the structural, the structural information or whatever you said earlier that you don't, yeah. that you learn in college. You don't even use that information. I, I mean, do I know how to use it? Yes. Is it useful for me? No, because I get computer programs that do all of it now, or I have, you know, span tables or whatever to figure out how to do all of these things. And the more that you can actually like lean into using the stuff that's available, the faster you are, the more, you know, the more you can use um, non-custom parts to create custom solutions, the, the, the faster you can get to like a really great solution for a client. But you got to know where all that stuff is. And you like, that's the thing that clients come to me for is like, you know, I've got clients that where I'll be like, hey, you know, you don't need me. You can just use an interior designer to do your project. And they're like, nah, we, we want you to do the thing that you do. Like bring all the parts together and then we'll get the interior designer to make it what it's supposed to be once you get all the parts together for us. I'm like, okay, I can do that. And they're willing to pay for that extra level of expertise where you've already parsed through everything for them. Yeah, this 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 is perfect because, and this is not even something I plan on talking about, but this segues perfectly into what I teach contractors about, you know, why they should charge more for what they do. And it's because of that very reason. See, a lot of us, we have employee mindsets, yeah. right? We're, we're just, we're just employees who swing a hammer and therefore I can only, I, the most I could get paid is like 40 bucks an hour. I couldn't charge a customer a hundred bucks an hour because I'm just, a, you know, I'm just a hammerer. It's like, no, they're paying you to put together this entire experience. They're, they're relying on your, your information that, you know, the experience, the, you know, your system that you've developed on how to do X. And so that's why you're, you're, they're paying you for a solution. And like yep. you said, when you've even told them, like, you don't need me. And they're like, no, no, we want you because we know your system works. We know, you know what you're doing. 
and it's going to make our lives easier. Well, and there's so many nuanced things within my system and within your system, with any, within any contract system that they take for granted. Like there's so many times where I'll have a friend will call me and be like, Hey, I need to do some tile on my bathroom. And I'm like, okay, so here's the tile guy's number. Just call him. He'll help you. And then, you know, months later, I'm like, how did that go? And they'll be like, he never called me back. I couldn't get him to do the thing. I'm like, okay, that's not how you do this. <laughs> like you, there, there's a, there's a sequence of events of how you communicate with subcontractors, a sequence of events of how you get all the material there and make sure that they can do their job. And you take for granted that you know how to do that and you know how to get everything on site to do the, do the project and make sure that everything happens the way that it's supposed to happen that most people don't know how to do. And you think it's just like second nature, but it's not. And so that is a true value that you're allowed to charge for. You need to charge for. Yeah. I mean, I think what you're talking about can be labeled as the curse of knowledge, right? Right. Like we know this, you know, why would someone pay me $500 to come to their house and put baseboard in one room? I mean, baseboard's easy to install. Right. It's like to you, to you, but to the, to the 80 year old lady, who's absolutely terrified of a chop saw, she's not going to do that. And she will gladly pay you that much money to make sure it's done right. She knows she can hire someone for $200 who might be a you know crackhead or does, does, does a bad job, but they're willing to pay you to make sure it's done right because of your experience. And that that is hard to like teach contractors who are really stuck in that employee mindset. Absolutely. Well, and then the more you're able to facilitate, I, I guess that's been the beauty part about being an architect is that now I get to put all of the thoughts of like how to put the thing together, together with all of the components of knowing how to build a building and then creating a very cohesive documentation of what everything is going to be. And, you know, our our final set of construction documents are like, they are an awesome playbook. They are just like, all the information is there. If you do this, it, it, we're going to win. We're all going to win together. Just if we all stick to this set of documents together, like here's the contract, here's the contract documents, go. And people love working with me because of that, because they know that like, they have everything that they need to win. Cause that's at the end of the day, contractors just want to go win. Homeowners want to win. We all just want to go and do the project, get it done, have it be what we wanted it to be. And then everybody goes home and everybody gets paid. I'm like, that's just so simple. But the more you can help other people get what they want, the more you can charge for what you're doing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because you're you're really they're really paying for you for things not to go wrong. Right. That makes exactly sense, right. right. That's exactly like, right. Like opening up your second story and then rain for two weeks and destroying the entire house. We just finished one where I went to the job site twice, and it was just to see. And I was like, oh, "Okay, everything's fine." Well, all right. And that that was like the best one we've ever done and it was it was magical because i was like they had everything that they needed to succeed like they had all the information that they needed 
that everything's specified, that all the tile picked out, all the cabinets picked out, all the different components part, they're all there. They're ready to go when the project, when the project needed them. And it was just like, I felt like a symphony conductor. It was just like, and I didn't, I mean, I'm barely moving my hand and everybody's doing what they're supposed to be doing and it's just beautiful. And then it's done. And then you have this like, Oh, well that was wonderful. And just honestly magical for the homeowners. And I just, I love being part of that. I'm taking notes here. You know, the, the whole uh, sympathy con- conductor is symphony. I said, I, that's a hard yeah. word for me to say symphony conductor uh, or orchestra conductor, whatever, like that, that paints a picture of how it should be yes. as a business owner. Now, obviously, you know, some people may be starting out, they may be one or two man, they're still working on the tools a little bit, but really the ultimate goal is that everybody's doing the work and you're just kind of, you know, small movements to make sure they're, mm-hmm. they're doing their execution, but you're really not participating in the activities. Right. Uh, how, how did you, what did it take for you to get to that point to where you're just the, the, the conductor? I mean, you, I don't know how you would shortcut the situation, honestly. Like, I think that there are probably ways to shortcut it, but at the end of the day, like you have to, you have to grunt through all of the different parts. Like you have to, you have to fail a lot to, to learn, like, I've, I've never been really very good at learning from somebody else's mistakes. Like, I, I, I like to think that I can, I can look at it and be like, Oh, you know, I shouldn't do it like that, you know, whatever. But at the end of the day, like the ones that like, punch you in the pocketbook, you're like, Oh, I'm gonna have to learn how to ne- never do that again. Or like, know that like, when I'm communicating about a certain component of a project, like to lean in and be like, no, you need to listen to me on this part, this, this thing right here. This is the hinge pin of the entire project. Like I know it doesn't look like it, but it is. And so if we get this wrong, nothing else matters. And like, but being able to have that in your pocket only comes from failure. Like, <laughs> like and I don't know how to like, I don't know how to tell somebody else how to have all that without the failures, honestly. Yeah. I mean, I, I, that makes sense. Like, you, you know, you probably would not go back. Like if you could go back in, in the past, you would say, no, I would, I would still have torn that roof off that house and let it rain because of the experience and failure of that has led to an entirely new process has led to a new business. Like it, that, that led- one hundred mistake. Yeah. The hundred thousand dollar mistake led to, uh, a new classification of architecture and in residential uh, real estate that basically with our patent, like we've unlocked the airspace above everybody's home to do it in a safe way. It was just never done in a safe way before. I'm sure that somebody else has done it similarly to what we are doing, but not in a codified way, not in a way that's just like, if you do it this way, every time, you're going to have a solid solution for a homeowner to be able to get the space that they want on top of their house. I mean, basically we're able to double somebody's square footage without them having to move, without them having to 
you know, uproot their family. Like I can't overestimate how much value it brings to the families that we're involved with. Like it just, it's amazing to be part of seeing families just like transform when there wasn't any other solution for them. And that's really the, the biggest one for me is that so many times we're working with families that they're like, they're literally at their wits end and they can't move because of some constraining factor and they don't have the ability to do anything else. And their, their family is expanding and, you know, they're, they're at, like, they're going to, their, their whole family is like collapsing because they're in this teeny tiny house. And then all of a sudden we're able to give them this space and let them expand into this life. And it's just like, you go back and see them a year later and you're like, oh my gosh, it's not the same family. Like we changed their lives and that makes it like really, really worthwhile to be part of it. And you would not have any of those experiences without that $100,000 mistake. Exactly. So the failure side of that definitely creeps in. I want to, I know we're, I know we keep trying to creep into the, 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 another story. Uh, I'm sorry. It's what I love. So (laughs) we're going to get there. I promise listeners. I promise we're getting there next, but I I really want to talk about what you said about how to stay on the good side of the trusted advisor line. What do you mean by that? So there's, there's so much of our industry where people have been injured and there's so much trauma related to the scale of injury that happens within our, with our, within our industry. Um, because people have negative experiences with contractors and invariably they're very expensive and they're very painful for people to deal with. And so the trust level for people that are getting into construction that are getting into, you know, this industry is very low. And so you're coming into a situation where people are, their, their guard is up and they're expecting to have a, a negative experience based on what you, know, you either heard or they've personally experienced from other projects that they've been part of. And you have to, it, it has been my experience that as long as you can stay on the side of the client where they believe and that you believe that what you're doing is acting in their best interest at all times, then you can win in this industry. Hey, just a quick timeout from the show. In the next 30 seconds, I'm gonna tell you exactly how you can transform your contracting business. Imagine being part of a community of winners where you can find out exactly what they've done to be successful. That's exactly what you get when you join the Profit Club. But it's not just the community. You get lifetime access to all of my course-related material, including all future material that I add. But wait, there's more. Each week, you'll get access to three group coaching calls to talk about sales, marketing, and business problems and answer any questions that you may have. Still not convinced? How about personalized one-on-one coaching to help you overcome your limits? And here's my promise to you. I guarantee you will double your investment within 90 days or I personally will work with you one-on-one until you do. So don't wait. Elevate your game with the Profit Club today. Now let's get back to the show. Now, that may be charging more than everybody else because it allows you to, to do the job properly. 
But at the end of the day, you you have to be able to be look the client in the face and say, I would rather you go find somebody else than me tell you to do it the wrong way. Like me cut corners, me do something where I'm going to injure you. Like at the end of the day, like the project's going to cost X number of dollars to do. You don't have the budget. I'm going to tell you up front, even if that means that I don't get the project. You know, if somebody comes to me and says, you know, hey, like, my home needs to do this, this, and this. And I'm like, yeah, we can do two of those, but we're not going to get all of that. And being okay with the client saying no, giving them and giving them the truth and letting them decide for themselves is the best thing at all times. And then the chips fall where they may from that. So that allows your clients to be like, you know what? Ben Ben says it's going to be more expensive than this guy who just lied to me over here. But I, I, I believe that he's telling me the truth. And so like, I'm going to go with him anyways, even though he's more expensive or, you know, it's hard. It's hard to tell you all of the, the, the individual circumstances where this comes to play, but just staying as your client's advocate, as your, you know, as kind of the fiduciary responsibility that you have to each of your clients being willing to tell them the truth, whether or not that means that you get the job. And that actually winds up getting you way more work and the type of work that you will actually enjoy and the type of clients that will invite you to dinner when you're done. So if I was, if I had to, uh, kind of paraphrase, it sounds like you're saying one, don't, don't lie to them. Yeah. Don't tell them you can do a job for 40,000. If you know, it's going to cost 60,000 and, and then plan on change ordering it halfway through. Oh. Um, and say not, uh, not just saying things to get the sale because you need the money or because you need the sale, but actually have an integrity around the fact of like, Hey, this is the, this is the pros and cons. You know, I may not be the best guy for this job um, or, you know, this is, I know you want to save money, but truly believe that if you spend the extra money on this, it's going to make the product 10 times better or the result 10 times better. Uh, but over here we can save some money because it's not that big a deal. Does, it, does that sound kind of, did I paraphrase that right? Or did I mess that all up? It just, it's just integrity, having integrity as much as possible and letting that shine through on what you're doing even even if that means injury like in the short run it it comes back around like and people see it like you think that people aren't watching when you make something that looks like a a small integrity glitch like people see it and you know it and if you can't lay your head on your pillow at night with good conscience about how you've responded to each of the different parts of the project. Like that's a problem and that's a problem for you. And it's going to come through at some point in time. Like the, the golden rule is the rule for a reason. Like you got to treat people the way that you would want to be treated and it will come back. Like when, when you have a subcontractor that like goes to the end of the world for you because he knows that you're going to continue to do 
a good job by him. Like, who who are you going to call, you know, next time when when the when the, another project comes around? It's like you're going to call the guy that went and did more than was expected of him because that was what the job needed and helped you through a certain, you know, but also the other way around, like you, you see that the subcontractor didn't have enough baked into his, into his price. And you say, you know what, I'm going to go to the bat, go to bat for you with the, with the homeowner and say, look, this, this wasn't, we didn't have enough. And so now we have that conversation and, you know, all of these things are hard, but you do the hard thing and then everything else is easier. Yeah. Or I'm just going to take it out of my profits and give you an extra two grand yeah. because we can't get it from the homeowner, but I'm going to take care Absolutely. of you because I don't want to lose you. Uh, and that also applies to employees. Yep. hundred percent. I remember very, we, we used to do some service work and some like handyman stuff too. And my nephew was working for me when he was like 18 years old. And all he was doing was pressure washing this lady's driveway. And she was, she was a bit of a Karen. Mm -hmm. I'll just say that. But she called me like halfway through the day. It was like, or maybe it was the end of that day. And we were supposed to come back and do some more stuff. And she said, I don't want, I don't want your nephew to come back because he didn't really do a very good job. And I was like, well, if that's the case, then we're not coming back at all. Like, you know, if, if, if he can't come back, then we're not coming back because he's an employee of mine. And, you know, and just like when you stand up for your employees like that, mm -hmm. Now they're going to do that for you versus are you throwing them under the, under the bus? Yeah. You know, and you take the customer side over your employee side when they're telling, you know, that's not what they said. That's not the conversation we had, you know, and you're just throwing them under the bus. So that, that applies in all relationships basically. Yeah. And that's the, the mark of a good leader too, is there's no one size fits fits all for anything. And so you you have to bring discretion and integrity to every conversation that you have. And knowing, like, I can handle this contractor this way, and I can hold, hand, handle this employee this way. And you have to tailor the way that you communicate as a leader specific to the audience for each audience. And it's it's not always easy. You know, like, you're, you always have to, you have to wear different hats at all times for different people that you're working with to help them get where you want them to be and where you know as a leader, you need them to be. I like to use the, 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 the term that, you know, each person, whether it's an employee, a sub, a, co a customer or whatever, it's basically like its own micro universe. Yep. Like you have to figure out how to operate inside that universe because it's different for every single person. You know, now you, you might be able to categorize and like, okay, there's really, there's really only five different types of universes. I just got to figure out which one you fit in. And then I know how to operate within those universes but it's still a matter of figuring that out because if yeah. you're, if you think your employees only care about making more money, but what they really care about is more time off to spend with their young family, the, the amount of money is not going to matter. Right. Well, and then it's, so it's definitely not a, it's none of it's across the board. Like you, you, you never know what, you know, one person is dealing with on any given day. And so you think you have the same employee today that you had yesterday and you don't like they have different constraints in their life. You know, <laughs> their family situation has changed because of X, Y, and Z. And then, you know, you, you have to be flexible to roll the punches and maintain that integrity, you know, and 
that good leadership, which is, you know, meeting each of the people that you're dealing with at the level where they need, need to be met. Yeah, I think you could, you would be better off as a business owner if you had a strong human uh, relations background versus the technical side. Absolutely. Like you would be better if you didn't know how to swing a hammer, you've never swung a hammer whatsoever, but you knew how to, how to handle people, how to, how to deal with emotional intelligence, how to have all those conversations, you would do much better in building your team versus the other way around, which is how most of us are. We're craftsmen, but we have no idea about the, the human resources or the human element of it. No, soft skills, especially today, are superpower. That's your superpower. Like you've, you've got to have soft skills with every relationship that you're in. And that's the, and that's the only way you're going to win in business. So you, I mean, soft skills in, in accounting, <laughs> that's what you need to do if you're going to win at business. Like but you, you can hire out accounting, right? That's pretty easy yeah, to delegate exactly. accounting. You just need, you need to know soft what you're measuring skills. in your soft skills. The soft skills is a interpersonal skill that you have to develop. Yeah. There, there's no, I watch a 10 minute video and now I'm a good, you know, leader in soft skills. It's like, you have to actually develop this. Absolutely. And I think that's what most contractors get stuck with because to them it's, it's, you know, the, the wall goes like this and the floor <laughs> goes like this and the roof goes like this. What do you mean? You are not uh, one, you don't want to work today. Like, well, I don't understand. Right. <laughs> well, because my mom just died yesterday. That's why I don't want to work today. Ooh, you know, it's man. just, it's, uh, some of that stuff blows my mind. It, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I had a, an experience like that earlier on in my career, actually when, when my dad passed and I got little grace from some of my business partners and I was like, you know what, I'm going to find a different place to work. You know, it was just like, you, you find out people's actual motivations in those moments and say, well, that's good to know. Now I know. Um, but you also take notes in like, that's really important. Like that, that guy's wife just had a, you know, had a miscarriage. Like that's really hard. Like you need to let him have as much bandwidth as he needs to deal with everything that's going on with that. And that's not, that's not for you to judge as to like what that is even. And so that, that becomes like part of your job as a leader is just to like understand the nuances of those kind of um, situations. Yeah, absolutely. I remember when I had a, I had a two brothers that worked for me, they were brothers and it worked out well because they didn't, you know, they did, they worked well together. They didn't like fight when they worked together, like some, some siblings, but their, uh, I think it was their mother's house caught on fire or burnt something. It wasn't like a death, but it was something tragic. And they called me, you know, mid morning, Hey, we need to go help my mom. And so I knew instantly I was going to lose two of them yeah. because it's, the, it's their mom. Yeah. Right. And so like, I was like, yeah, go ahead. Take, you got to take care of your family. Go leave. Did it cause more problems for me? Absolutely. But was that the right thing to do? Yeah, absolutely. But right? it comes back thing. around too, though. Like now they, they know that, that you've got their back. And so when, when you have to call down a favor later, they're like, you know what? He had my back when things were hard in that circumstance. Like I know that I can trust. I mean, this is back to that trusted advisor mindset, right. trusted advisor with your, 
employees and trust advisor with your clients. And the more you can put yourself into that position of like, okay, I can see how I would respond in that circumstance, like being able to actually like have that empathy and, and understand how people are feeling in a given circumstance, like that goes a really long way in a, in your leadership role. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, let's, let's uh, shift to the, uh, the main, the main thing we've been teasing about the whole time. Another story. Absolutely. What's the name of your company? Another, Another story. story. Is that yeah. correct? Another story.com. And we have, we actually got the domain, which wasn't free, but we're, we're happy about that. Um, you know, have a thing. I hate that. You started on the, on the blackmail domain people. No, oh, gosh. Yeah. It, it wasn't as bad as it could have been. Let's put it that way. So I was, I was glad we were able to get it at a reasonable price. But so we got another story.com and another story, as we've talked about, is kind of a really unique way to add a second story on your house without having to move out. But it's also one of the best alternatives to the the real estate shenanigans that we watch, you know, happen on a daily basis. And so people outgrow their homes. I mean, it's, it's tale as old as time. You know, you have a young couple move into a house and it's them and a dog. And, you know, then they have a child and they're like, oh, this house is okay, still fit. And then they have another kid and then this house is getting tight. And then the third kid shows up and they're like, well, okay, now it's time to move. Or is it? It's like, no, well, do you love your neighbors? Okay. Do you love the school system you're in? Okay. These are good things. Do you love, you know, being part of this community that you've created right here? Do you really want to uproot all of that just because the house is too small now? It's like, not really. Also, moving costs you a year of your life. It does. Like, I don't care who you are. I don't care how good you are. If you've got three kids and you think you're going to move and it is not going to take a year of your effort to move from one house to another house, you're out of your mind because that's what it's going to take. Or you can do another story and you can add a second story on your house while you live there undisturbed. The worst part of it is when we install the staircases at the end. Um, And so, you know, Maybe go on vacation for two weeks while we're putting the staircase in. But outside of that, it's basically new construction on top of your existing construction. And it's all level and true and plumb and beautiful. And it's really hard to overestimate all the different benefits that come with it. But I'll, I'll go down kind of a list of things that we've noticed that are really important. One, like it's all new systems. So, you know, you're putting a hat on the house that's well insulated, new windows, new HVAC, new everything. And it's really tight. And so where you were losing a lot of heat and everything out through the roof previously, you're not anymore. Now you have this brand new hermetically sealed hat on top of your house, which is glorious, but you also have an air gap between your old house and your new, new house, which actually acts as a sound deadening device so now you're putting the second story up and typically you hear kids running around in circles upstairs you don't hear that with this system it's so much better because it's completely separate it's isolated 
there's no sound transfer because because of the air gap. And so you get this awesome separate unit up top. So it could technically be a whole nother house if you want it to be. If you wanted it to be a, you know, a rental unit, could be that as well. Um, because you really just don't have the traditional issues that you have with having a separate unit up there. Um, but again, all of these things happen while you stay in the house. And that part is like incalculably beneficial. Like, how much is your time worth? How much is it worth for you to not have to move out of your house? How much is it worth for you to, you know, be able to live your life the way that you're living it? And then all of a sudden you have the house that you always wanted and you didn't have to do anything. You just had to make a couple decisions during the design process. So that has been really cool to be part of that. I have to, I'd have to imagine that it's cheaper to build up because usually it's always cheaper to build up than out. So is it cost cost wise? Is it cheaper? Is it the same? Is it actually more expensive compared to adding, you know, if you're going to add say 1200 square feet to an existing, you know, uh, floor plan, um, footprint versus 1200 square feet out the back, like cost wise, what are we talking? I tell people just anticipate it being about the same. And they're okay. happy when it's a little bit less. It's usually a little bit less, um, but it doesn't. The thing that also people don't really take into consideration is when you add out the back, the thing that always happens when you add out the back is now you have these tentacles of construction that have to come back through the house to accommodate this addition that you just did onto the back of the house. And so that means either you have to rework a bedroom, you have to make a new hallway, you have to do these other things to accommodate this thing that, that you've added on that you don't get any benefit from those additional costs of those tentacles that come back through the house. So those tentacles are just added cost to the cost of construction that you get nothing from. Um, whereas with a second story, the hardest part is determining where you're going to put that, that staircase. If there's an obvious place to put it, stack it on top of where the basement stairs are, which is the best. Like, okay, we got basement stairs, great. You don't even have to have a conversation. That's where the stairs are gonna go. Um, but if it's like, okay, the, the living room is kind of big, we're gonna put it over here in the corner. Or, you know, the, the dining room is weird, kind of oblong, you know, one direction, we'll put it on the end of the dining room. That's the worst impact on the main level of the second story, it is really no impact. So you're not really at that, that cost of impact on the main level is negligible comparative to the addition cost out the back. And so you don't really have to absorb those secondary costs the same way when you're doing a second story the way we do it. So instantly my, my, my brain goes, okay, what about the mechanicals? How are you doing electrical completely different system is the HVAC and its own unit? Like, how are you doing the mechanical side of it? All of it. Yeah. It's all brand new. And so we, the best, the best version is when you've got like a house with a crawl space or a house with a basement. So that, you know, most of the time those are going to have the existing mechanicals in the crawl space. So you're not really touching any of that. So you leave that all alone and then you put a new system on the top that deals with whatever additional load that you're adding to the, the house. A lot of times it doesn't take very much more though, because what you're adding is so, so much more efficient than what was there. 
And so a lot of times the systems that are there are oversized to deal with the fact that the house wasn't very well insulated. The house wasn't like very well done as far as like current codes go. And so a lot of times what we'll do is we'll do a whole house, second story, and then the homeowners were also like, okay, we're going to do replacement windows as well, just to kind of like button everything up. And then all of a sudden, like the main system is barely undersized to do the whole thing. And so we're adding, you know, maybe a ton and a half upstairs to be able to do 1200 square feet because it really doesn't take very much when everything else is already sized up. Makes sense. What about like electric though? Are you just like basically running the sub panel up there or how does it, how do you typically handle that? Um, the sub, yeah. I mean, there's, that's usually one of those ones where you have to have that, you know, upfront conversation with the homeowners. Like, look, your system is a, you know, 150 amp system. It's probably not going to handle what we're going to do. So we're either going to have to upgrade the old system or whatever. A lot of times it's not an issue. Like we've had it several times where they had a 400 watt, system already installed and okay 400 amp system and all we do is just put a sub panel up in the upstairs and we're good but those are conversations that we have on the front side we actually have an initial um, consultation that we do with homeowners called a feasibility study and in the feasibility study we assess the electrical foundations soil covenants hoa zoning all of these kind of like big ticket components that like if we are able to get over all those hurdles, then we say, yes, your, your project would be a great fit for another story or no, like that doesn't really make sense for you to do that. So like you spent a little bit of money, you found out that it was not wise for you to move forward with this project based on these considerations, or you do have do a different scale project based on these considerations. Okay, so what about like, um, you know, load, like foundation and stuff? Like, how do you do, what are you guys doing? I mean, you can't just put a second story on any house, no. right? That... It, it, so most most foundations, you know, they are, they're going to be based on your standard eight inch block foundation or, you know, whatever standard unit that you have. Those are mostly going to be based to be able to hold a two story house the the main question is the soil and so we actually do a foundation test when we do the feasibility study where we actually go out and dig down and just test the soil to make sure that the bearing for the soil is enough to be able to hold the weight of the house um, but other than that most eight inch cmu block wall systems are going to be sturdy enough to hold a second story Let's say I'm a, I'm a contractor, general contractor. I do, you know, I've done plenty of room additions and remodels. That's my main thing. And now I decide I want to start using your system. Yep. How much additional knowledge or do I have to go out and find somebody who can do soil samples now? Do I need to have an architect who can stamp these plants? Like what, how much additional things do I need to be able to add that? No, all you need to do is join our team, honestly. Um, so the way that we're setting it up is that we're doing um, the architectural drawings for any given contractor in the various markets across the United States. We're beginning to expand right now, um, but we do all the front end alignment for the contractor to make sure that the projects will work. And then they act as our 
point of contact on the ground in the various markets. And so if you're interested in being a contractor, we actually have a, a contractor page on the website. It's right in the drop down on the website where you can go in, put in your information, and then make sure that you check all the boxes as far as like experience. Um, there's a bunch of different stuff on there. I wouldn't uh, get all into that, but just basically making sure that you have enough insurance and training to be able to be, sure. you know, the person that can do this. But then we actually develop the plans with you, with your clients that we help you source. And a lot of times what we're doing is we actually get clients in a market that come to us and say, hey, we're interested in doing this. And then we help source a contractor initially for them. It's even better if we have a contractor come to us and then we're able to help them get clients using our system. So, okay, so not only do you, have you developed, and I'm assuming you sell the, the brackets that you use for that, the, the physical part of it, but you also have the support system in terms of the architectural drawings, yep. all of that stuff. Uh, is that like a, do you, is it like a monthly service? Is it a per project pricing? Like how does that, how do people pay for that? It's a, it's a per project um, licensing fee for using the another story system. Um, and then the cost of the jacks and then the homeowner bears the cost of all of it. Honestly, when it comes to the end of the day, like the homeowner will wind up be the one that pays for the licensing fee and the cost of the jacks and then the architecture fee to get the designs done properly. Um, and then the, the contractor winds up with a full set of plans. It's ready to go. It's already vetted and ready to build. And so with, with your guys developing out the, the bill plan, are you kind of also developing that playbook you mentioned earlier? Mm -hmm. Like, are you giving them all of the details? We, we do all of the architectural side of it. And then we, the, the way that it has worked out the best with each of the different contractors is we kind of build the entire framework of what the thing will be, go through all the code studies, make sure that all the, all of the macro boxes are checked and then we love for you to have your own interior designer local just so that we're not having to source tile and stuff like that in, a, in every given market um so we work with your interior designer to help get all the specifications onto the drawings but it's a you know it's better to have that kind of fine detail stuff done locally to make sure that all the components are available creating a playbook together and it each each project has its own nuance and it's just like any other architectural project you know they don't nothing's ever like exactly cut and dry but we have a really good kind of throughput like this is how we're generally going to go and then we address the issues as they arise uh what about like how to actually build the system is there training for that or how much how much experience do i need as a contractor to know how to use your jacks and all that stuff we I've actually been going to site for the first one for every contractor just to make sure that the framers know what we're doing and why we're doing it. Um, there will be modules available in short order. We haven't created all of that yet just because we're uh, like the patent for this whole thing was is live on September the 16th this year. So like we've been working on getting the patent and working on all the back of house. So like, this is this is a brand new baby. Like we're 
we're getting it out there. We've built 10 of them and they work great and clients think that they're magical, but yeah, I mean, we're, we're just now starting to expand and really get this thing out here. And you're the first podcast that I've been on with to like really just tell everybody about what's going on with it. Um, I've talked to other people about it, but not really the full Monty of what, what we're doing. So I really appreciate you having me on here to talk about it, honestly. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I feel honored to be the first one. Yeah. Um, so I want to, okay, one last thing I want topic. I want to kind of circle all the way back to the actual mechanical side of your jacks. How does that mechanically work? You want me to show you on one? That roof. Uh, yeah, you can. I mean, the listeners won't be able to see it, yeah. but if they watch it on YouTube, they can. Yeah, I guess if they watch it, I'll, I'll show you. Give me one. Give me just a second. Step one, you still show up on the job site. You're going to cut a hole in the roof above where the first floor wall is on the perimeter of the house. And you set this connection plate down into the roof onto the top of the plate of the first floor wall. Then you slide this pipe down onto that connection point that's sitting on top of your first floor wall. And then you flash it just like you would a plumbing vent for a regular plumbing vent. Then you have this saddle that sits down on there. And that is an adjustment nut that allows you to level these to each other around the perimeter of the house. Okay. And then you set your, your outside floor band on top of here. Um, and that goes around the perimeter. And then you actually lock this connection point up over the roof to the to the opposing side so that the beans can't roll out while you're placing weight down on them and force outward and so that it binds everything together and we actually create a plate that sits on the kind of roof apex to be able to not buckle when you're adding uh the chains up over the top and so you get all of this locked in around the perimeter and beam on here and then you build your walls and your roof planes up off of this system that you've created that's sticking out through the roof and so water is able to flow underneath this during the entire framing process there's never a point where your house is at risk of getting wet and then the last thing you do is after you've taken the roof off you actually come in and stitch in a knee wall that sits in this same plane and lock that portion to the bottom floor using uh, a, a new knee wall that's underneath the floor system. Uh, un, yeah, underneath the floor system and down to the first floor main wall. So, okay, that all makes sense. Uh, and, and the chains are temporary, obviously, while yeah. you, once you get your uh walls and everything so are you okay wait a minute let me back up at what point do you put the floor joist on then after you take the roof yep. off or what it's after the roof is out so there's some temporary um bracing that kind of has to go in and you know, like none of it that's the that's the part where i like to go and like train the guys how to do what we're doing is to make sure that okay. you know you're doing it it's all about sequence and so making sure that you're dealing with all the loads appropriately through the sequence of events 
it's on a typical like a, a rectangle house like 2000 square foot house would you just have like four of those one in each corner or is there like I, one in the it, middle or how many typically typically we're doing one every eight feet just to make sure that we're not putting too oh, much load at, in any given point and what about uh transferring the load through the first floor yeah. you got to have a beam in the wall you got to have a stud in the wall like how does that work so we like to have contractors place them where you know there's going to be like at least a, a single jack stud so on the corners of windows at the corners of the house places where there's obvious like okay you're gonna generally gonna have a through plane that's gonna have load bearing all the way to the ground because you don't want you don't want to crip you don't want to crunch that top plate if you can avoid it obviously but the whole system all of the jacks do remain but they become somewhat redundant by the time you put the entire wall in underneath the floor system so that you don't have to worry about like there it's not the whole thing isn't just being held on load points but when you're done it's load planes and shear planes and everything does the knee wall actually have load bearing capacity on that too or is it just facade okay so the knee wall does actually carry the load as well yep and then all that also brings the full shear value that you need to bring you know so the thing can't shift related to the main level gotcha so you got the beam going across the knee wall comes in underneath it, in a kind of a way that kind of acts like a header yeah. sort of uh, for the carrying that load across all of the studs. Uh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. And so how, what's the height difference between like the top of the plate and the bottom of the floor? How much are we talking there? It varies per project. And that really is one of those kind of custom components. We, we send out the pipes pre-cut to the midpoint of the property. And so like some houses you need a six inch piece of pipe and other houses you need a 14 inch piece of pipe. And it really just is a per oh, okay. project kind of scenario. And it's going to be based on the differential between where the top plate is and the bottom in, in the plane of the roof. And so that varies. Dramatically. The roof, the roof is going to... Yeah. The roof pitch. So the roof pitch I imagine would, would, would adjust that as well. Yeah. Makes sense. Okay. So the only really, the only real difference that someone might notice is that the stairs are going to have a, couple extra steps yeah. to get to the second floor that's it and that's actually that's one of the things that we it. are really dogmatic about when we're designing it is that we have um we have a little bit more space at the bottom of the stairs to in case they need another step because it's happened on a couple of occasions where the house was you know three inches at a level over the whole thing and so we wound up having to set to the low point and then everything else wound up growing and oh we need another step and oh man that kind of moved things around so those are those are kind of some of those like failure points that we're like okay don't ever do that again leave room for an extra step at the bottom right might need 14 feet instead of 10 or whatever right. for your uh for your run and, but so then you're just going to have, you, know, you may have like a 16 or two, 24 inch cap, if you will, where the stairs are. I mean, as you're going up between the floors, yeah. you're going to have an extended but it's not, distance. I mean, you might notice it. Other contractors might notice it, but homeowners have no, they don't know. Like, it's like, oh, it's just what it is. 
You mean not everybody walks into rooms and looks at all of the trim <laughs> and looks at the joints and everything? My favorite is walking into the room and, and, and looking at how, how did you cut the crown upside down? How did you do it? Like, I don't know how you installed the crown upside down. Like, I understand how to do it right side up. I don't know how you do it upside down. The mysteries of trim carpentry. Oh, my goodness. Awesome. Well, Ben, I appreciate you being on here. What's uh, anything else that I should have asked you uh, that the audience may need to know about the uh, another story and how that all works? Man, honestly, like I'm just, I feel like it's my calling to help people understand that this is a better solution for families. And so I just want to get as many people involved with it as possible and expand the network of available contractors. So if you're a contractor and you're interested in being part of what we're doing, just there's a link on anotherstory.com in the link in the drop down, you know, for contractors and just go to that link, put your information in and then get signed up. And then we have marketing and stuff for you. We have all these different um, resources that are available to help you sell it in your market. And then we become your back of house to help you execute this thing. And then you can make money, we can make money and we can help owner, homeowners get the space that they want. That's fantastic. When I, before I uh, booked this, I thought you were really just selling the, the, the system, yeah. you know, the jacks, and that's really all that you were doing. Uh, but the fact that you actually give them the entire back house so that they don't need to add all of those elements to their uh, business uh, really makes it kind of a no brainer. I feel like, I mean, I, I see the benefit. I, I see the benefit. If you're going to add a story, you know, a lot of people will add dormers because of the easiness of adding a dormer. But why do that when you can add an entire second story? Well, depending on the market, like certain markets, it makes perfect sense. So we have a market kind of overlay that we're working on where the cost of construction versus the sale price of construction. And that's really what you got to look at. It's like, as long as the cost of construction in your market is lower than the sale price of construction, then the appraisal value of what you're creating on top of the house is no problem for a bank. They're just like, yeah, I'll give you the money all day long because everything you're adding is real good, true square footage. It's like, that's the money shot of what people want on their house. You're adding bedrooms and bathrooms and playrooms and like, just like the best kind of square footage to a house. And banks are like, where, where do we send the check? That makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't make sense to lend to you if it's going to be cheaper to build a brand new house yeah. uh, versus adding on to your existing. And then, and then it's way overpriced. Right. Awesome. Uh, one last question I like to ask everybody, all my guests, Ben, what's a current book that you're reading or one that you highly recommend? Uh, fix This Next. Oh, it's a good book. Oh, man, it's so good. I wish I'd have read it 20 years ago. It's a good book. Um, what's, uh, what's the author on that? Uh, can't remember. I, I can give you one. I mean. I can look, I can look it up. up. I just, I yeah, he, it, it's uh, Fix This Next and then 10X is better than 2X. It is easier than 2X. I, that one is by. You're the second person. I'm the second person who said that recently. The 10x is better than 2x this week. Really? Yeah. No, it's it. That's a that's a really potent one. But fix this next. Probably had the most profound. It, it's the best um, litmus test for a business owner, in my opinion. It's like, what should I be working on? 
It's like, if you've got this figured out, then you can work on this. But you don't get to work on this right. until you figure this thing out. And that that is, that's one of the hardest things to do as a business owner is just knowing what to be doing at any given circumstance. Like, you got to have a sequence of, like, hierarchy of import of importance. I thought you just, whatever was on fire that day is what you had to work on. <laughs> that's what it seems oh, that's like. <laughs> All right. Well, Ben, thanks so much for being on the show. We'll make sure to put all of your social medias and, and your links in the show notes. So guys, if you're interested in another story, if you're interested in the, the system that Ben has developed, uh, it's a fantastic uh, idea. I love how it incorporates, you know, really just building the entire thing and then removing the roof at the last minute so that the, you know, the homeowners can live there because that is a huge part of any type of remodel. So I think you've done a fantastic job of really designing this and providing all of the back office supports. So, uh, I mean, kudos to you for an amazing product and service that you're offering. And guys, if you're interested, go check them out. Um, and yeah, it, as far as hanging out with us, thanks so much. You know where to find me, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, just search for the Hammer and Grind podcast. And until next time, remember, profit is not a dirty word. Thank you.